Before we get started, I wanted to thank Prevail Infoworks, the sponsor of today's podcast. Prevail Infoworks is the only global, full-service, tech-enabled CRO and e-clinical service provider harnessing historical and publication data alongside ongoing study data in real time. Get the most out of your study data and schedule a demonstration of this service for yourself at www.prevailinfoworks.com. And be sure to meet the Prevail team at the Outsourcing Clinical Trials East Coast Conference in May or at their offices in Philadelphia. Again, take a moment and explore their new look website at www.prevailinfoworks.com. Check them out. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Cell and gene therapies offer great promise for treating, preventing, or curing serious health issues like cancer, genetic disorders, immunodeficiencies, and rare diseases. Nevertheless, the complexity and cost of producing and delivering these personalized medicines creates barriers to patients benefiting from their potential. Or Genesis is seeking to change the business model around cell and gene therapies through its point-of-care platform, which it says can lower the cost, accelerate development, and expand access for patients. We spoke to Vered Kaplan, CEO of Orgenesis, about the challenges of cell and gene therapy, how the company's point-of-care platform technology addresses those, and its network approach to building a pipeline of therapies across a wide range of indications. Vered, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> We're going to talk about cell and gene therapies or Genesis and its point of care platform and how this has the potential to accelerate the development and reduce the cost of these therapies. Perhaps we can start with the opportunity. What's the problem you're seeking to address? Well, you know, we've been in this space for over a decade now, right? Uh, working in the space and there's been incredible growth. I mean, when we started the company, there were barely, I don't know, a dozen INDs out. It was almost science fiction, the space. And now there's thousands of products under clinical development, products that have been approved. And there's two huge issues in this industry. One is cost. The therapies are way too expensive. You're talking about therapies that can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars per patient. And the other issue is capacity. So you don't have, you, you just can't make enough of them. And even when approved uh, therapies that have been shown to be life-saving, the number of patients that have access to these therapies is so limited by the availability. And it's both the problem of just capacity, you know, just making more 
batches and making more products for patients and the accessibility to where they're made, especially when you're talking about these products that are autologous, right? That you need to get the product, the basic material, the patient sells from the patient and then um, send it sometimes to very far locations to be processed and then sent back to the patient. So there's major hurdles and I think we can just call it all under one name, how to industrialize these therapies. So the problem is an industry problem. <laughs> For people not familiar with autologous cell therapies, walk us through the process of, of what it takes to prepare a, a therapy and, and treat a patient with it. So, uh, and by the way, um, just to, to mention, you know, it's not only autologous therapies. People think that allogeneic, the case where you're not using the patient's own cells, that it's a shelf product. It's very far from that, and I can elaborate a bit more on that. But basically, most of the therapies in this field, let's take a CAR T. A CAR T is an example which a lot of people have heard of because it's had tremendous clinical impact. So you're taking this, the patient's immune cells. The patient has cancer, a blood cancer. You're taking the immune cells, T cells, for instance, from the patient, taking them out and reprogramming them, right? Re-educating these cells uh, by actually uh, some genetic engineering. You're enabling these T cells to target the cancerous cells. So all of this process is done in a lab or in a place that has to be sterile because what you, after you've, reprogram the cells after you've educated that T cell how to find the cancer cell. Now you have to expand the populations because you've taken just a small amount of T cells. Now you have to make a large amount of T cells. Once you have a large amount of T cells that are packaged and then these are sent back and infused into the patient. And they have had tremendous clinical success, especially in the blood cancers, which has been kind of the first uh, product to, to get approved. When all of this process is being done, if you look at a typical biotech drug, it's done in these big stainless steel containers, right, in one central location. And once the product has been manufactured, it is sterilized. Sterilizing a product, so you can give it back to the patient, it actually involves killing everything that's alive. But these are living drugs, right? You're using the patient's living cells. So you can't sterilize the product after you've processed. What you have to do, you have to do the whole process in an extremely high sterile environment so as not to contaminate it. And then it can be the final drug product can be infused back into the patient. So several challenges here. First of all, it's personalized. Second of all, it has to be transported to a sterile location. Usually, this is not a one-step process. It's actually some of these products may have 70 steps. So you're talking about multiple steps done in a sterile environment. Sometimes this can take two to three weeks, packaged and sent back to a distant location. How does Orgenesis change that? So 
Traditionally, what has happened? The biotech industry and the health industry has tried to kind of take these new modalities and fit them into the existing paradigm of make a product in a GMP, a good manufacturing practice facility, sterile environment, package it and send it back to the patient. And because many of these therapies, actually most of them, have been developed you know, by clinicians, by researchers in university, hospitals, you know, patients trying to take the, the most wonderful advanced science out there and adapting immune cells so they can treat their patients. But basically, we're talking about lab processes, right? And traditionally, biotech does not make, uh, I would say, like a whole uh, factory or manufacturing facility per one patient, right? So how has Ogenesis kind of looked at it? So in the beginning, we tried to do it like everyone else, right? And we had a centralized facilities. And we were making these products like traditional biotech was used to, bringing in patient materials, doing the whole process in what's called clean rooms, these sterile environments, very expensive to run and maintain, and sending it back to the patients. But even then, we were trying to take these lab processes and turn them into much more industrial processes, trying to use closed automated systems, trying to put in a lot of quality control into the process. But it's not enough. And at some point, we decided that the centralized paradigm of existing biotech just doesn't fit these therapies. Because if you really think about it, we don't manufacture these products. Nobody manufactures a cell. It's not that you're taking a bunch of components and sticking them together, gluing them together, and now you have a product. What you are doing, you're taking source material, the cells, which are wonderful, wonderful um, machines of nature, right? They know how to do their job immensely well. If you think of a cell, cells, they have the best control mechanisms. They, they are so well adapted by nature to the function. We don't need to break them up to little pieces. What we need is make small adjustments. What we're essentially doing is reprogramming cells. They have a code in them. They know what they need to do. And sometimes because of a disease state or some condition, there is a need to reprogram these cells. So we have taken a very different approach. Under this deep understanding that what we are doing here is programming cells. And when you think of programming, you're really thinking almost like you would about computing, right? So you need to think of hardware, user-friendly software, and which are the algorithms or the apps or applications that you are programming. Taking that into account, now we've built up a very different concept of how to supply these therapies. So we want to reduce costs, right? So one, one thing we want, we want to take out all the expenses and all the logistics and all the risks associated with make, transferring living biological materials to and from the processing facility. So one approach we have is first of all to try to make it as close as possible to the point of care location. And we do this by actually setting up small processing units 
close to the point of cure. So we can reduce that cost. The other issue that we've kind of tackled, because we now understand that we are programming or reprogramming cells, what we want to make is very, um, I would say, robust system. So instead of just treating the biology as a separate part, we try to unitize. We take whatever therapy there is and we fit around it the best type of equipment so it kind of fits together. And I like to give an example here. These therapies in some ways are very much like what you could think of home cooking, making a soup, okay, making a, an apple pie. And when you make a wonderful apple, apple pie, that's great. You can invite your friends over and they can enjoy it. But if you want to set up a chain of apple pie coffee shops all over the U.S., for instance, you better have a very good apple pie-making machine. And that's exactly what this is about. So we take the biology, the therapy, and we really fit it out with an isolated unit that is targeted, that is completely built up for that therapy. So now you don't have the biology separately and, I would say, the industrialization, the equipment, the hardware separately. It's one unit. And that unit we put into our mobile processing units, our ampules or Genesis mobile processing units and labs. And we fit these units in. So very different from what was done before. Now we have something that's established, that's qualified, and this can be duplicated. It can be duplicated at the same location with more of these units, but it can also be duplicated in any other required uh, location. Is, is there any way to quantify the time or cost savings associated with your approach? Yes, we've, we've actually presented an analysis of this in some of the conferences um, that we've spoken at. And I think the industry all understands the, the cut downs in cost. And I think the main issue here today, the approach used by traditional biotech, building clean rooms, filling them up with manual labor, people working, you know, they're all covered up with these kind of special sterile suits. The more of these products you make at one location, you don't gain anything in economy of scale, okay? If you're making 50 and if you're making 5,000, it's the same cost. And in some cases, the logistics is actually much more complex as you are making more of these. In our approach, the first cost savings is the economies of scale because once you have qualified one set, once you have validated that one unit like this works, you don't have the cost associated with building more facilities, with building more clean rooms. I can tell you before, we had five clean rooms. We needed to double our capacity. It took us more than two years. We had to build a new place, a new location. We had to train many more people. We had to get the authorities to come and re-regulate the whole new building. So tremendous cost savings in terms of just time to expansion. And the second big component you have here is the fact that instead of having, let's say, 
typically what you would have in a clean room is five highly trained operators working, pipetting away, working in a very sterile environment. Now you have these closed units sitting side by side. You can have two technicians quickly trained and operating in parallel several of these units. And why is that? In a clean room, when you're working in a lab kind of space, you have, you cannot process two patients at the same time. You will have cross contamination. But once you have these closed units, you can process in parallel many of these patients. So the cost savings are on the cost per batch because you have two technicians who can work on several products at the same time. You are saving on cost of logistics to and from. And every time you move biological uh, products, it's not only the risk associated and the very expensive kind of travel expenses of making sure that biological material gets on time. It's also additional testing you have to do every time. So now you have it very close. You can have fresh products, which can be administered directly to the patient. So we estimate, just as an example, one type of products, just by using these closed systems and the parallel processing, you can save at least 30% of the cost. And if you are going into multiple units, each next to each other, you have the same overhead, you can take down another 20% of the cost. And the cost savings in terms of expansion, that is difficult to quantify per product. But if you're looking at large-scale manufacturing, the cost savings are obvious. You're talking about years you're saving in expensive people training and setting up of new facilities. You talk about your technology having three components. I'd like you to walk us through those three, starting with technology. What we aim to do as a company is actually bring this industry together, right? Make them work together. Because as I said, if you have biologists developing biology and you don't have engineers developing the systems that are fitted for this biology, you're missing out here, right? So the first thing you need when you talk about technologies is what I was calling before the hard work, okay? Where you do the, the programming and the reprogramming of these cells. So first of all, the ampules, these sterile mobile units that we can locate and place that are very flexible. So these are, that's our technology. We've developed it. And these ampules, basically the container size, they can be fitted in with many isolation units and they're very adaptable to different products and processes. And they actually protect the internal environment from any external environmental factors, like constant humidity, constant temperature. Everything is very much standardized. So that's one piece of technology. But then you have the technologies that are used to, uh, to in each isolation unit, right, to process these therapies, to, to do all the manipulations that are needed. In the beginning, there were very few companies, and we actually had to develop a lot of the technology ourselves. I'm very happy to say that the industry as a whole has really developed. And there's many such technology manufacturers 
that have, you know, invested a lot of efforts and a lot of know-how and have developed now systems that can be used for distance therapies. So we collaborate with many of these technology develops. Companies like Lonza, like OE Biotech, the many such technology developers whom we partner with and we fit, we help them adapt the technology to the therapies. And it's not only for the processing, the companies that have developed for the different quality control testing. So that's the technology side of our network, right? Partnering with the different technology developers, fitting that technology in into our ampules, into our mobile processing units. The second part of your platform is therapies, which you partner to bring into your pipeline. What's the model there? So when we talk about therapeutic partnerships, we have two approaches. The first, companies have developed wonderful therapies, right? They have, they have the algorithm of how to reprogram a cell. They've maybe done it in traditional clean rooms. They maybe have existing capacity. Maybe they want to expand to additional clinical sites. So we partner with them as the industrial partner, right? We take the therapy and we fit it in with all the required technology so we can put it in these isolation units, in our mobile processing units, in our ampules, and we are the industrial partner. We do the process development required, and we do the actual supply of the drug product, wherever they need it, whichever location they need it. And these partners of ours, they continue their clinical work, they continue whatever they're doing, and we support all the industrial needs. The other approach that sometimes, because remember many of these therapies, as I mentioned, are developed in research institutes, hospitals. In some cases, there's been a wonderful therapy license, let's say, from a specific hospital. Let's say... Uh, a therapy we license from Columbia University or from one of the other great hospital universities we work with. That therapy is being run. Sometimes it's only been given to patients. But now this therapy wants to expand. So in that case, we actually in-license the therapy, help do all the industrial stage, and then make that therapy available to other hospitals and other companies who want to utilize this therapy. So in some cases, we are an industrial partner for a therapy that belongs to a third party. And in some cases, we actually partner on the therapy itself until a commercial partner is found for that therapy. The final part of your platform is what you call networks, which includes industry, academia, researchers, and hospitals. How do you work with these entities? So, you know, the situation today is, is such that, you know, every large research institute hospital are kind of trying to invent the wheel themselves. They've been struggling to get products or get any kind of industrial services from service providers or CDMOs. In many cases, they don't have even the, the financial capability to build up their own 
processing facility, but they struggle to do so by themselves. And, you know, it's amazing at what level uh, research hospitals and different, you know, clinical institutes have done to provide these therapies to patients. They have actually become almost small manufacturers, right? But how many patients can they make? How many patients can they provide for? It's very limited. And each one has to kind of go through the whole process of doing everything by themselves. So by making a network of these research hospitals and institutes, we can actually help provide a framework which they can all work with under. So let's say, as I said, one hospital, one research institute, maybe treated 10 patients with a wonderful therapy. But now they want to expand. By working with us, what we do is we actually in-license and then out-license and share the clinical protocols, the, 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 the industrial capabilities. We share them with all the hospitals. That's why some people kind of call us an open source biotech company, right? <laughs> because the same thing that's being done in one hospital, not every researcher, not every institute wants to set up a full biotech company. Not everyone has the capability to do this. And it's a shame because these therapies are, are wonderful therapies. So by providing a network where we can align the clinical work, the research work, the different industrial uh, solutions, we actually expedite the entire development process. Sometimes we have companies who want to be involved in this. So what we try to do is really share the already uh, hard work that has been put into learning how to make a good product. And that information we then share with all of them. And we also have as part of our point of care platform, we have hubs. These hubs are located in different countries, in different places, and they make sure that everything is standardized. So if you think of it, if you're providing the same therapy in, let's say, Spain and in Greece and in the U.S. and in Israel, you want to make sure it's all run under the same quality assurance, under the same quality control, same training to the patients. And these hubs, these point-of-care center hubs, they make sure everything is standardized across the whole complex industrial kind of platform needed to provide a drug substance. So our network is composed, first of all, of the research institutes and the hospitals where patients get these therapies and where these therapies are developed under clinical trials or under hospital exemption or whatever the regulatory methodology is. And we provide services both to the research institutes and the biotech companies who need our services, our point-of-care services, to make these therapies available whatever location that is required. What are the regulatory implications of this approach? Do you need an approval for the the device? Do you have to demonstrate some sort of GMP compliance? Is each therapy have to be approved? So, you know, the, the regulatory landscape in this world is so interesting. 
because you know it's 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 just been a kind of a shift back and forth in the beginning these therapies were almost treated like like treatments right like therapeutic treatments like you you do a bone marrow transplantation right it's considered a therapy but not a drug substance a treatment right and then you know the biotech industry got involved and the regulators said hey look we need this to be made like a drug so you need gmp approval good manufacturing practice every the locations for gmp manufacturing need to be audited by the regulatory authorities not every hospital can do that so we develop our mobile units and anything that is done in, in them under gmp guidelines under regulatory guidelines and we make sure they comply with the GMP requirements. And we work very closely with the regulatory authorities. And, you know, I, I have to say the regulatory authorities in this space have been wonderful. They've been so creative and so open to trying to understand what is the best regulatory framework to allow these therapies to get safely to patients. Our approach of making sure that no matter where these therapies are made or where they are programmed or processed is done in, a, in exactly the same manner, not even changing the processing environment, right? The ampules are all exactly the same. It's very much in line with what good, gym, what good manufacturing practice is. You're reducing risk, right? You're not making a therapy today in one clean room and then in another. And remember, cells are so sensitive to any change. So today, moving a, a, a processing a, a system from even one clean room to another is a very lengthy process because every clean room, every... Uh, environment is different by the fact that we standardize everything around the processing we're actually doing very much in line with what is needed for good manufacturing practice and i think regulators all over the world are looking at what are the correct regulatory guidelines for decentralized manufacturing so of course these therapies go through ind trials they go through regulatory testing, clinical testing, such as other therapies. And in order to do that, they have to be supplied at different clinical locations. And by making sure they're supplied exactly the same product, we're actually helping support the clinical regulatory development. There are other guidelines, by the way, that are interesting because of this shift between, because of the shift between treatment to GMP and those things like in Europe or in Asia, such as hospital exemption, where the hospital takes kind of, uh, I would say, responsibility for the, and then it's again, very well regulated and we make sure we comply with the regulatory requirements. Are you training hospital staff to produce these cell therapies? Do you send personnel out to handle the production? No, it's our personnel making these products, processing, working in the ampules. They are trained by our training systems, and that is part of the standardization process. We do sometimes work kind of for development purposes with hospital staff 
We sometimes help them with things that are needed. We sometimes utilize their capabilities for different development steps. But in the actual processing units and the ampules, it's our staff working. Cell and gene therapies have broad application, and that's certainly reflected in your pipeline, which includes immuno-oncology, viral disease, metabolic and autoimmune conditions, vascular and musculoskeletal diseases, and kidney diseases. How do you prioritize the indications you'll pursue? So, again, it's not that we do the clinical development ourselves. As I said, we in-license and then we out-license, right? And then we make sure they are co-developed by all the entities that are interested in that co-development. So we are giving, I would say we're like a central hub that makes sure all the efforts for development are harmonized and are well correlated. So not one hospital is trying to get, uh, you know, 300 patients. If each hospital site is maybe doing 10 patients and we're making sure it's all well correlated under the same efforts, that's how the development process goes through. And what we, and it's not that we prioritize, we license in what we see is required by the rest of the, of the group, of the network, right? So if we get continuous uh, request, maybe you have a therapy for a certain indication. Can you help license to us a certain indication so we can co-develop with others? So that is a therapy we will in-license, right? If we find a research institute that is, or a hospital that, or a small biotech that has already developed a therapy in this space and wants to bring it into the network to be co-developed by the partners, that's what we do. So what we try to prioritize is what the different research institutes and hospitals are requesting. And the other, I would say, uh, thing that we take in consideration, are we helpful to that therapy? If it's a therapy that is not, a, that we cannot help make more available, more affordable by our point of care platform, then maybe it's not the right therapy for us, right? But if we can utilize our joint kind of network resources to push this therapy along until it finds the right marketing partner, then we in-license. In 2020, you made an acquisition that gave you a commercial product for chronic and recurrent acute pancreatitis. What is this and how does it work? So acute pancreatitis is a very... I would say severe disease. Patients suffer from tremendous pain. And at some point, there's no choice but to remove their pancreas because they, the lives are a complete misery, right? And when the pancreas is taken out, they do not have cells who make insulin. They become in one day extremely brittle diabetics. They don't even have a baseline of insulin. This is a very difficult condition to manage, and these patients go in and out of hospitals because a regular diabetic usually even has a baseline. These patients don't have any insulin production capabilities. So what Coligo has done is developed a wonderful algorithm, wonderful process 
to take these cells and from the pancreas and reutilize them and transplant them back into the patient's liver so they don't miss the insulin production capability. So now patients who's had a total pancreatectomy, instead of becoming a brittle diabetic, once this procedure is done, these cells can be taken out of the pancreas, processed, and delivered to that patient's back to his liver where they continue to function. And Coligo has done as treated multiple patients and has provided tremendous benefit to these patients. But again, you get to the point of how much capacity you have to do that. And today, the challenge is you've got patients on one side of the country sending the cells. They have to be sent back. It's very expensive in terms of transport. There's a limited time window where this can be done. So this is a therapy that is already approved and given to patients, but the capacity is very limited, right? So by working on ampulizing this therapy, right, making sure we can make it in mobile units in different locations, and we've been working very hard on, on this and trying to optimize that process so it can be made in a mobile unit so we can expand capacity but maintain the, the level, the same level of product as is done in the centralized lab. You also have a therapy for osteoarthritis that was developed through a collaboration with Theracell. Is this a model of the type of collaborations you're seeking to forge? So in many cases, as in Theracell, what we really want to be is an industrial partner. That's where we provide benefit, right? If we can provide this therapy in any location needed, if we can help our partners industrialize these, this product into a mobile unit, into an isolation unit in the mobile unit, and this product can then be provided wherever needed, it helps them expand their market reach. If Tercel today is providing this product only in Greece, and now, with our help, can provide the therapy, can expand the market reach to locations all over Europe, or maybe even in the U.S., that's a tremendous benefit for them. And these are the type of partnerships we like to do, and these are the type of partnerships where we bring the most benefit, I think, to our partners. This approach requires physicians to think a, a bit differently about treating patients. Have you had conversations with physicians and, and they are they open to this type of approach? You know, one of the things that astounds me is how enthusiastic clinicians are about these therapies. Certainly in the immune oncology space, but in many other autoimmune disease, uh, orthopedics, uh, neural uh, diseases, dermatology. I mean, clinicians try these research things, they read about the successes, they very much want to have these products available. What's the limiting factor, as I said, is the tremendous cost and, you know, the different reimbursement strategies that are very difficult. I mean, today, for instance, I'll just give you one example. Um, 
because of the uh, the products for the blood cancers, right? Some of them are so expensive. So the some of the reimbursement programs are based on success. If the patient, if the, the therapy is successful, the therapy is reimbursed. Now, think of a, a, a biotech company or a therapy marketing company, right? Now they have this terrible dilemma. Clinician wants to treat a patient, but if his chances for therapy are too low, they, they can't take that risk. They have to be sustainable as a company, right? Because these therapies are so expensive. But once you can provide this therapy at a reasonable cost, then clinicians are eager to treat patients. So I don't think clinical acceptance is the limiting factor at all. I think the limiting factor, is, as I said, is the industrial approach. If there's a good therapy out there that can provide a, a really a cure, not only because these are curative therapies, right? Not only a management of symptoms and not only uh, a temporary kind of or a, a low chance of curing the patient, then okay. And there's an alternative to use a cell and gene therapy that can cure that patient, that can provide a much um, better form of treatment. Then it's obvious that clinicians and patients, by the way, are demanding these therapies. If there's an alternative, maybe it doesn't make sense to use a cell therapy, right? <laughs> Fred Kaplan, CEO of Orgenesis. Fred, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.